0: As we get into this, we talked about the purpose, the mission, we talked about going to war, we got that God has a job, I don't like using that word job so much because it feels like you're forced to do it, it's a blessing, we have our works because out of the overflow of our hearts, do we give praise, do we live for God, are we missional, but I've got to ask us today, aside from the Holy Spirit, how does God get things done with us? Like God sends me, he sends you, we live this life of going. I mean, who does God bring alongside people? He brings alongside people, other who? People. He brings other people into our community. He brings people alongside of us to help us and grow us and lead us. We have community, we have fellowship, we have a thing called friendship. And as men in here today, I mean, do we really know how to talk about friendship? Friendship. I mean, picture going to your boss, you know, on Monday morning. He said, hey, you know, what did you do this weekend? Well, I hung out with about 150, 200 men. Oh, wow, what did you guys do? Was it sports? You know, did you, did you build a car like the A-team? Did you shoot a bunch of bear? I mean, what did you do? You did something masculine, right? We just hung out as friends. I mean, it doesn't sound too, too tough, right? And we see in culture this picture of a man. Do we get men being friends in culture? I mean, Clint Eastwood, did he have friends? John Wayne? Remember that guy Charles Bronson? I mean, How awesome was that? I mean, do you think Chuck Norris actually has friends in his films? I mean, we don't have a good picture of men and friendship in culture. They're always doing it by themselves, the Seagulls, the Bruce Lee, it's one guy, he shows up and he gets the job done. Even watching a film recently with my wife on Netflix, an amazing film. I don't remember the name, but it's about different species of animal interacting to together and becoming friends. There's, there's a whole scene with a lion and like a jackal. I mean, there's a, there's a, a family of beavers and, you know, this kind of animal. And they're all living together. And why am I going off? Why am I talking about this? Because even scientists today, even those who believe in evolution, they're saying, you know what? Within the last five years, our research has told us that even animals need friendships. They're more successful in friendships. They're more of a team in friendships. They accomplish more and more things in friendships. Now, do I have to look to guys like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood as a bad example or to animals as an example that you and I as men need friendships? No. No. We need to only look at the Bible and who do we see in the Bible in friendship? I mean, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity. God from the start is showing us he is in team, he is in unity. There is a mission, there is friendship. I mean, aside from the 24 elders, you know, and those who were before him worshiping all the angels, I mean, what did God do? He made man in his image. And he walked with man and he talked with man. So what was he? Man was a friend of God. We sing these songs, I am a friend of God, or things like I've got a friend in Jesus. And We even read about a guy called Enoch who walks with God, and God loved him so much, walked with him so much, hung out with him so much that the Bible just says God took him. We have these verses like James 2.23. Abraham was called God's friend. Exodus 33.11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, Even as one speaks to a friend. And this is throughout the Bible. Jacob, Daniel, many men are called a friend of God. But do you know what we see in the New Testament? Do you know what we see for every believer? We see this in John 15, 15. Jesus says to you and I, receive this. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Friends. Do we know our master's business? We talked about it the last session. We are his workmanship. We're redeemed only in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He sent us to go into all the world, wherever we live. And so now, as he says, Brian, you're no longer just a slave, the doulas. Yes, he's my Lord and Savior. He's my master, the Lord of lords, and the king of kings. But he also calls me a friend, You've got to see that the very reason for the cross and the blood and the resurrection is to make you and I what? Friends with God. And so who do we see in Scripture? I mean, I know we bullied David last session, you know, at the time. He's meant to go to war. He remained at home. But do you think God gives us a picture of a man in friendship with another man in the story of David at all? He does. In a man called Jonathan. I don't want to speak to you today about Jonathan. So if you have your Bibles, go back over to 1 Samuel 18 and 1. We're not going to pick on David this time. We're going to see how God uses David, but how he uses other men in his life, both good and bad examples. And remember, I'm not trying just to give us a checklist of go home, don't be bad, do this. We're catching the vision. You've begun your job. You're going on the hunt. You're doing whatever you're doing. This is how we're following him. This is David, the shepherd boy, did great things. And you ever think about that? I mean, God used shepherds. God used people that a dog can do your job. How crazy is that? I mean, throughout the Bible, you know, Abraham, Moses, I mean, even Jesus was a shepherd. Now they have dogs that can do it. But what is he saying? David's a shepherd boy that kills a lion and a bear. He kills Goliath. He rises in stature right away. And we pick up this story where David is the most famous. He's at the forefront. Who is this, you know, little Jewish kid, there he is, and he's killed this giant, and he's just slayed the the enemy. Here he is honoring God, and we pick up this story looking at friendship. It says in 1 Samuel 18 and 1, after David had finished talking with King Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And from that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe, the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and even his belt. And whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. David is still a shepherd boy. He's simply gone out and destroyed Goliath. And we see in the first interaction, even with the king here, as the king is basically interviewing him, saying, Who is this kid? What are you doing? The first thing we see is it says Jonathan became one with David. Right away, the second he meets him, there's this one in spirit. He loved him as himself. It says there was a sudden friendship that came out of nowhere. And we read these Bible stories, and I love when someone challenges like this, we say, "Yeah, David and Jonathan, they were friends. But I want you guys to know this story is probably the best rival setup for a movie you can imagine. I mean, I think about Quentin Tarantino's movie, "Kill Bill." I mean, you could have wrote "Kill David." I mean, Jonathan is royalty. He's a prince, He's the king's son, He has all the wealth, he has everything he needs, and who's David? He's a peasant boy who's a servant and is rising up and has become famous. How many of you guys, being honest, think Jonathan will be, well, wait a minute, what about my throne? What about my future? What about the things I'm going to accomplish in my life? Is that what we see of Jonathan? Does Jonathan kind of get to know David? Does he gradually begin the bond? Or does he simply step into it and as the Bible says, they became one in spirit and Jonathan loved David as himself. They should have been enemies. This is a great movie. You could have done a trilogy like Star Wars. I mean, the light and the dark. We could have played this thing out. If you look in the whale today, what does the whale tell you and I, as men, we're meant to do? We're meant to be in opposition. I'm gonna outbid you. I'm gonna last longer at this. I'm gonna build this bigger. I'm gonna shoot more of this. I'm gonna accomplish more of that. The whale is all about competition. The Bible says in Genesis, part of our case, that by the sweat of your brow you will work hard all the days of your life. But this isn't what we see in this man called Jonathan. And we have to say, because God's sovereign, could David have really got through this terribly difficult season in his life? He's about to follow, being rejected by Saul the king. Wondering what God is doing with him. If God had not used this man, this man who's a friend. I don't think biblically Jonathan gets as much credit as he deserves. We always focus on David, but we can say in the verses we're going to see that we see qualities of a man called Jonathan that, oh, I want to be a man after God's own heart like David, but I want to be a friend like Jonathan. I want to find a friend like Jonathan because we've got to ask ourselves the question, what binds them? Is it they were both wealthy? No. Is it they came from the same place? No. No. Did they have the same eschatology? Were they both into the rapture? I mean, was the doctrine lining up? What was it? It was the same thing I have in common with you. It was their faith. It was not where they lived. It was not their upbringing. It was simply their faith. Because David, when he defeated Goliath, you know what the Bible tells us? It tells us, The Lord delivered you into my hands. And we see here in this story that Jonathan was obviously more focused on God than his kingdom and his legacy and what he was going to get out of it because he lined himself up with the man of God and said, God is calling this man, God, use me where I am. All the jealousy, all the chaos, all the issues we even can see within the church, those things can play over into our relationships with other men, with people in our lives, all the games the enemy plays. When we see Jonathan, we're introduced to the story as a man that comes alongside another man called of God and says, I'm going to be there for him regardless. That's who Jesus is. He says, I'm your friend because you know my purpose. Jonathan understood David. David was about to understand Jonathan. Think about Jesus' words be holy as I am holy. Can I really be holy in Christ? Can I really live this way? But what Jesus is saying is I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to help you. I'm not just certain people's friends. I'm going to be a friend to whoever. I'm going to put myself out there. Oh, I'm here for Calvary Chapel. What do you guys want me to share? Here's what we're thinking. I'm here for worship leader. What do you want to do? I'm here for you as men. But if I don't live this life coming alongside people to reverence them, love them, and honor them as a friend, where am I going to end up? What we see here is we consider Jonathan is that he knew that David had a call. Last session we talked about our call, but I want us now to consider everyone else. Who's alongside you that God wants you to come alongside? And as you love them, as you honor them, as you consider these few points today that I'm going to speak on that we see in Jonathan, they would bless me if you were alongside me that way. Hopefully it would bless you if I lived alongside you that way. This is what we know. that The Bible says, no greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for who? His friends. I'm challenging us as men today, as believers. Can we step into this and say the church is in the area? Can we say, as Christians, can we say, as uncomfortable as it's gonna be, I'm gonna consider Jonathan's story, and I'm gonna try and be a Jonathan in someone else's life. If we can agree with that, can we just say, Amen? Amen. Here's the first point. And stepping out to be friends with people, it is going to take sacrifice. Jesus told us to carry our cross, told us to lay down our life. I must decrease, he must increase, less of me, more of him. We grow, we study, we grow in the Spirit. Look at what it says there in verse 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan did something. He took off his robe that he was wearing, gave it to David. He took off his tunic, he took off his sword, his bow, and his belt, and he gave them all to David. Why is this crazy? Because Jonathan's the prince, this is his military gear. He's taken off everything that defines him. Had he become in the role that David is about to step into? Jonathan, in serving someone else, already says, God, I'm gonna honor you in sacrificially living for these other people. Think about the world we live in. Jesus said, I did not come to what? Be served, but serve others. In Christianity, you know what the new thing to do is be an entrepreneur. I can't just work for someone. I can't just work there. I've got to be the lead this, own this, have that. I've got to have the biggest in everything. We don't see that in Jonathan. Jesus said, I came to serve, and he did a perfect job. Amen? Right away we see Jonathan lining him up with the man of God and giving him of his tunic and of all these things. When you think about this situation, though David is famous and known and has accomplished all these things, he actually has no power other than what God has given him. Jonathan is still the prince. He could have had David executed. He could have won this war. There could have been opposition. I'll tell you, for me, when I became a Christian, one of my favorite things about being a Christian and coming to church was getting there and connecting with people I never knew I would have connected with. Skateboarding is a bubble. You skate every day together, you wear the same things, you do the same tricks, and you just judge everything else. And here's a guy that was angry, dead in sin, coming to faith, showing up to church, spending time with 90-year-old men that I have no clue what they're talking about, and loving them because they love me. Here's me hanging out with a bunch of kids that probably all they cared about is skating, and I'm getting to be a friend to them. How many of you guys think it's crazy the way God works in this? I get to go all over the world and encounter people like you, and can I tell you, I have never had a bad experience in fellowshipping with other believers we put on our best face. I am the guy preaching today. We do seem holier than now, but this is what we're striving for. Amen. We're today saying, "Okay, God, I've been taught in this world, I am the lone wolf. I am going to accomplish all these things. I am going to get mine." But can I tell you that's not the way of the Bible? If we're truly going to be a friend, we're going to learn how to serve others. We're going to lay down our military garment. We could say because our Bible it says in Jude 1.20, Dear friends. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Jonathan saw David destroy this giant, and he simply said, God, here's a man who's called by you. I'm going to align myself with him. I'm going to sit beside him. As we continue in this story, we see David now continues to fight. Saul continues to fight. And the Bible says of Saul that Saul rides into the city, and he killed his thousands. And Saul likes that. But then suddenly David come behind and it says, but David has killed his tens of thousands and the Bible says Saul had a jealous eye. Jonathan has come alongside David. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to reverence you. I'm going to pray and believe for you. I'm here to sacrifice for you, as is David for Jonathan. But now Saul, Jonathan's father, this conflict. David begins to play music, which he would have also done for the king, which would have brought peace to him in difficult times. And what does the king do? He's so angry, so jealous, so wound up that he throws a javelin at David trying to kill him. And we know that Saul's going a bit crazy because what does he do next? He says, David, why don't you marry my daughter? Why don't you take my daughter to marry her? But before you do, I want to send you out to war. I want to send you out to fight. I want to send you back to the Philistines so you can kill even more and get honor. Is that what King Saul's thinking? no. He's thinking, I hate this guy. I'm over this guy. Now he's in a relationship with my son, a friendship relationship. I'm going to send him out to war. And you know what? Maybe he'll be killed. Maybe he'll drop dead. Maybe his head will be cut off. We don't know. But what I want to see in this story is who does David have in all the land that's there for him? Jonathan. Jonathan's willing to live a life that's sacrificial. And the second point I want to make is this. Being a friend of someone, it's going to take loyalty and an eagerness to protect. Loyalty and an eagerness to protect. Seriously, man, don't just hear what I'm saying. Sit and consider. Am I loyal to people? Do I protect them? Am I sacrificially living for others? Read 1 Samuel 19:1 with me, if you will. Here's Saul telling his son how he wants to kill this guy he just made a covenant with. It's a Saul told his son, Jonathan, And all the attendants to kill David. I mean, can you imagine being this guy? Your dad's the king and he wants to kill your best friend who you made a covenant with. Who's just wiped out everyone. What are you going to do? Your head's on the line. Your dad's probably saying to you, Jonathan, I'll get this guy out the way. You can be king because Saul's thinking in the flesh. He says, but Jonathan had taken a great liking to David. And he warned him. My father's soul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. How many of you guys know we need someone just to stand with us sometimes? You someone to pick up a phone and tell them what's going on? When I was dead in sin, when I was divorced, I remember calling people, trying to get help in my life. You know what they told me? You'll meet someone else. Maybe go get stoned, maybe go get drunk, maybe hang out with a bunch of different women. No one stood with me and said, Brian, here's what you need to know. I have men in my life now for that reason. I love the words when it says that. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and tell you what I find. And verse four, says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul's father and said, let not the king do wrong to his servant as he has not wronged you, And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He's pleading his case. He's protecting this man. He's speaking in truth. Verse 5. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. And the Lord won a great victory for Israel. And you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? This man's come alongside and we read in the scriptures. He's in one spirit, Nefesh. He's alongside of him to honor him, and right away we see the story unfold. It's not a coincidence that God put these verses in here. The second we see David about to be blessed by his friend, the man's father comes against him. I'm gonna stand with you. I'm gonna bring honor to you. I'm gonna speak well of you. I mean, he's even telling his father, this man has done things and God has given him victory, but the opposition is heavy. I'll tell you, this is what friends need to do. These people in this room today, you might be going to hell. There's people in your church is going to hell. I want to ask you, how is God going to reach those people? How is God going to reach you? I was sitting in the room last night late praying, and I said, you know what I do about God? I think of people, and I text them and say, I'm praying for you. And I felt like God said, you should start calling them up and praying for them. You should start going and visiting them and pray for them. And I do that. I'm a pastor, so I'm always in the church. But I think, what do I do when I know someone's going through a hard time? Do I stand for them? Do I call for them? Am I really a friend? In this day and age, there wasn't text. There wasn't internet. There weren't all these things. So you knew that someone was there for you because someone was what? There for you. Jonathan comes alongside him to live a sacrificial life, but here he is. He's loyal and he's protecting. Why is this important? Because the Bible tells us that one can chase a thousand, but two can chase what? Ten thousand. I can pray for you. But if two of us are praying for you, or three are praying for you, or there's someone that we're accountable in love to, the Bible says a three-stranded cord cannot what? Be broken. Be easily broken. This is the longest trip I've ever taken away from California with my family. And like I said, it has been amazing, and it's been crazy, and it's been fun. I mean, you'd think they're in Antarctica the way they act out here, you know. It snowed for like two minutes the other day, and I think they thought like, you know, the book of Revelation was happening. But what did I do before I came out here? I sent emails, I sat with people, can you pray for me? Can you pray that God would get glory? Can you pray that I'll be an honorable man in the way I talk to my family, and the way they talk to me? Can you honor the services? Can you pray for traveling mercies? I mean, I ask those questions because I really believe there's people in my life like Jonathan that said, here's the man of God, here's what he's doing, in the same way for them. Any of us are the man of God. Where are you in your life? Do you have someone to come alongside of you? Some of you, your battle is so bad simply because you don't have a Jonathan because you haven't realized you need a Jonathan. To some of you, you're saying, bro, I get this story, but for many of us, this is where we are. I need prayer on this trip. I need people to encourage me. When I stepped out and said, God, I'm going to just go wherever, it meant a lot for people to come alongside me and say, bro, I know you're in this crazy skateboarding position of sharing and figuring out what God's doing, but I'm there for you. When I wake up this morning, the freezing cold, getting into the shower, I think of Jesus, and I think of people that are praying for me. I think of people saying, there's pastors believing for all of you today. There's pastors bringing in worship, bringing in guys like me. We're standing strong together. So Saul told Jonathan to kill David, but we see that Jonathan stood. I'm always surprised as we go to many times men's conferences, how many men aren't willing to step out like this. How many of you men know that just in Christianity, we need to be humble? I try and live in a way that anything I'm going through, I can share from the pulpit. Why? Because it's going to relate to you. You need to have people in your life like that. Maybe your dad wasn't around. Maybe men always spoke to you like a coach. I think about that my kids at times when they go through hard times and run to their room and they're, they're crying, someone said something mean or they don't want to talk. Do I want to just give them some statement, dinner's ready in 10 minutes? I want to just say, this is life, suck it up. No, I don't. I want to sit with them. I want to hold them. I want to let them cry and weep and get things out. And I want them to know that I am there. Amen? Amen. Those friends that we read about, we see on the Netflix, the animals, it's because of their bond. In culture, why we don't see this picture is because we are made for friendship. I mean, because God is sovereign, we can only say he's doing what he's doing because there is the Trinity. For feeling lonely, the Bible says, if you want friends, we are to... Show ourselves friendly. The third point I want to make in this is, as being friends, friendship requires real commitment. It requires a commitment not just to the friend, but to everyone around them. I'll tell you, one of the hardest parts of what I'm doing now is sitting with men who have done radical things to men that they said were their friends. How do they view their wives when they walk by? How do they consider their kids? How do they consider their life? The church today is rampant with divorce for many reasons. Are men honoring other men as men? Do I see your wife and find her attractive? Does lust begin even within the church? Do we consider the outcome of family? I mean, we've all seen it. This is the way it is. The enemy has been a liar from the beginning. But Jonathan comes alongside him, and one of the things we see is there's a real commitment. Let's read 1 Samuel 20 and verse 42. This is as Jonathan has made his way out to meet David. He's sitting with David. He's telling him his father is going to kill him. He's about to bid farewell. And we see even before this that they actually weep. This isn't just on paper. God didn't just say this. These men really lived this. David honored God his whole life. This is prior to what we heard in the first service. Here he is, a man come alongside of him to sacrifice for him, to love him, and to be there for him. And they weep. And look at what it says about their commitment. 1 Samuel 20 and 42. says, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. You've got to realize in this story how the trilogy could play out should Quentin Tarantino direct it. Once David and Jonathan die, what would their children do? They begin to fight over the throne. They begin to want to be the most significant. They'd want to be the most relevant. We can live in a way still like David did. We can want another's wife. We can want another's jump. We can want another's things. Why does God tell us not to covet? So we won't treat our friends this way, so we won't act this way, so we won't go off of the flesh. It says there was a sworn friendship with each of them in the name of the Lord. And it's funny that he says between your descendants and my descendants forever. We know the story what happens with Jonathan. As he goes out to war later on, we see Saul is killed, King Saul. And we see Jonathan also dies. And so what's going to happen? Is David's lineage going to last all the way through to the sign of the Messiah? It did. Even the Jews are waiting for their supposed Messiah, and he's not coming, he's just returning as Jesus. Amen? But what we see is King David, what he does out of honoring his friend whom he loves, who he's united against. He asks one day as he returns, are there any of the descendants of Jonathan left? Is there anyone left that I can honor because I made a covenant? I'll tell you, when I sit with pastors alone, one of the first things I talk about is lust and affairs. Do you understand the sheep God has put around you? Do I look into your face today and say you are a son or a daughter of God? Do I understand that I'm to come alongside you solely to watch you grow in the Lord? Am I going to trust everyone? I'm going to trust them with the Lord. Am I going to understand everyone? I'm not called to. I'm simply called to love and to come alongside because love never what? Fails. We see David even years later getting his. He could have gone off and said, who cares about Jonathan? But he doesn't. He returns He seeks out his son, what's his name, Mephibosheth, a cripple from a child, someone who had been dropped and broke his legs his whole life, and so much so that Mephibosheth is even in fear of David. He probably thinks, I mean, this could have been the final part of the trilogy, he probably thinks that David wants to come along and wipe out Saul's descendants, but he doesn't. What does David do? He honors this man, this man who can't even walk, who's going to go on to have children of his own, I believe there's 15 or so that are around He says, I want to honor this man so much and his descendants that they will sit at the table with me. They will never have to worry about food, where they live, what they do. Why? Because when God called David and the work he was going to do, he positioned a Jonathan around him. Can I tell you, there's Jonathans in your life. There's Davids in your life. There's people you need to come alongside, need to come along You. I sit with people, it's been the affair, it's been the divorce, it's been the this, it's been the this. It started so many years ago, but they never picked up the phone because they had no one to relate to. Someone wasn't honoring them. And the Bible says, what if you want friends, show yourself friendly. David honored Jonathan by loving his son Mephibosheth. And the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. Fourth point I want to make here is as friends. Friendship requires a commitment to godliness. We know that. We say, I understand that. Be holy as I am holy. Go and sin no more. But can I tell you, there's a danger. The same way the Jews in the Old Testament said, we have the law, we're under it, we can't keep it, we're good. We as Christians can do the same thing with grace. We can't shout about grace all day while never shouting about repentance. Grace is only grace when we talk about repentance. Amen? Amen. As a Christian, I'm still meant to flee from sin. As a Christian, I'm still meant to mirror the way God is leading me. We need a true commitment to godliness. The New Testament, the book of Acts, the epistles, what do we see? We see a man called Paul, a man called Timothy, a man called Titus. We see a circle of friends where there's a commitment to godliness. The thing that drew Jonathan to David was he was pursuing God. The reason David received him into this circle was because he could see Jonathan was about the Lord's call. Let's read in First Samuel 23 and 15. And what's happened now is Saul's gone after David. He's wanted to wipe him out. He's wanted to kill him. David has felt less than. He had his opportunity to kill this man, but he hasn't gone there. And we see that Jonathan shows up at just the right time. It's First Samuel 23, 15 and 18. While David was at Haresh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come to take his life. Here's the king, he wants to kill you. It says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Haresh, and he helped him find strength in God. He encouraged him, he loved on him, he spoke life over to him. Listen to the things Jonathan says to him as his own father, the king, is coming to kill him. David isn't going to kill this man, he's going to honor God's anointed. Jonathan says, David, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And then Jonathan went home, but David remained in Haresh. It says, and Jonathan, Saul's son rose and went to David and helped him find God, find strength in God. You may have men in your life that you relate to, In work, I've been using this idea of surfing or hunting in life, but it's a very different thing to have someone you can open up to on this scale. I mean, think about Jesus' first call we mentioned at the last session. He said, follow me. Right, I get that. But he said, I will make you fishes of men. I will sit with you. I will lead you. You will see what I do. You will come to understand my ways. Follow me and I will make you fishes of men. We often miss that Jesus gave three and a half years of his life to sit with 12 men, of which only 11 abound in him. Jesus literally took only 12 and ministered to them. Oh, he fed the 5,000, but 5,000 didn't feed him. Many see the signs and miracles. What does that tell you and me? It tells me part of my prayer is, God, who am I a Jonathan to? Who are my 12? Who are my 50? Who is my one? Who is God bringing into my life to minister to? The end of the Great Commission when he says, go into all the world, what does he say? Make disciples. Maybe the first session you heard these words and said, wow, Brian, I'm thankful you didn't stump all over me about sin. You invited me into God's house. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Or maybe you were feeling backslidden and now you're saying, wow, God, I've got everything out of my system. But the second point I want to add is that now what do we do with that? God has put friends around me because I need them. But God has put people around you because you need to be what? Discipled and make disciples. I think in Christianity it would be good if we stopped using the term Christian and simply said, am I following God? Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you fish as a man. As they followed him, they learned how to love. They learned how to speak. They learned how to pray. They learned how to serve. They learned how to make disciples. And I've got to say today, do I have a Paul in my life? Do have someone that can put his arms around me, love me, pray for me, and someone that can grab me by the back of the neck and say, what are you doing? Do I have someone that can step on my feet and say, Brian, what you were about to do is the same thing David did on the roof. Do you have young men around you, maybe it's your son's friends, maybe it's your daughter's friends, that you can begin to speak into them? I'm connected with about five or six guys in Orange County, and they are doing great in ministry. But I'm amazed, even as deep as they are in ministry, preaching, teaching, traveling, a lot of times there's things they don't get to open up with anyone about. Oftentimes there's things that they've carried from as a child, things they're carrying now, things they're concerned about, and they have no one to get any revelation from God's Word in. We don't need to go to a woman. We need to sit with a man, with a pastor, with someone that's going to help us and lead us. If you sat with my phone today, I'll tell you a lot of my texts right now are friends of mine that when I got saved were, were charging for the Lord. They wanted a pastor. They wanted a plant here. They wanted to make millions and do this and do that. Literally friends I have today and their marriage went a bit chaotic. They pursued the money. They bought the house and the toys and the cars and they added body parts to their wife if you know what I'm talking about. They did all these things to try and make life better. But you know what they stopped doing? He stopped allowing me to speak into them. He stopped allowing me to say this into their life or hold them with this. Because see, we live in a world where, as John Calvin says, our hearts are idle factories. What did they do in the garden? In the garden when they sinned, God showed up and the Bible says they hid. They hid from God because they began to pursue other things. You see, having a friend that's godly will hold you accountable. Having a friend that's godly will say, do you need to grow your business this big? Does your wife need to be focused on these things? Because why Jonathan was there was to keep David focused on his call. What did he say to him? You will be king. My father knows this, the call of God in your life. Friend, I'm only here today to push you and encourage you to say, you need these kind of friends alongside of you. I had a friend the other day that's been married for four years, and he called me. He used to go all over the world with me preaching Jesus. And once he was 19, 20, he wanted the house and the cars and all this stuff, and he went after it, spent his life, you know, all he's been doing is drinking and smoking and partying, but he's honored this wife. He said, I read Matthew 7, 21. I read the verse where Jesus says, Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, depart from me. I never knew you. A scary day. He said, Brian, I was afraid. I got anxiety. I got pain. My heart was wounded. I went to the hospital. This is a, this is a text I got the other day. And the guy said, I thought, in my life, who can I come alongside that will speak life into me and speak truth into me and hold me accountable? And I'm very honored that he decided to pick me and say, can you just come alongside me and help me in this season? What did he just say in that verse? He said, Jonathan helped him to find strength in God. My point is this, friend. How many of you guys are in full-time ministry? I love doing this. How many of you guys are Christians. That's how many of you guys are in full-time ministry. We live in a world, where, when we leave today, this Christian conference with our worship and all the fun and all the rest of it, you're going to see dead people everywhere. They don't know Jesus. Who is God called to go out into the byways and highways and minister? You and I. David was called to be king. Jesus was anointed to walk on water. I'm called to preach today. But you're all called to go out and live out this great commission. We need to lock arms We need to have deep spiritual roots like those sequoia trees. Because as you go out into the well proclaiming, you're going to get wiped out by the enemy. Your flesh is going to fail you. This is great to have a Christian conference, but this isn't where it ends. It begins out there. Amen. We live in a well. We say, God, give me a divine appointment. Can I tell you that every second of every day is your divine appointment? Can I tell you that when you say there isn't enough time, there is enough time. Only what we've done is took our time and allotted it to other things. When we think about that verse, we are his workmanship. And here's what we do as men. We read in Hebrews 11 about these great men of faith and the way they lived. Abraham did this and Moses did that and all these people did these things. And we reverence them so much. And hey, that's great. But can I tell you they are no different than you and I? They went through puberty. They wore diapers. They messed up in life. That you and I are no different than any of them. Amen. Here's the difference though is in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God only came upon certain people at certain times. It was on prophets, it was on priests, it was on kings. Can I tell you today that for you and I today, if we're on Christ, the Spirit of God is upon us every moment? Can I tell you today that when you go to the workplace, when you do go surf, not in Colorado, but when you go to Cali, when you go hunt, when you do whatever you do as a man, that the Holy Spirit is with you at all times? What does the Bible say in 1 Peter 2.9? You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. When I got saved and went to the skate park, I realized I am the one carrying the truth. I am the one on mission. I am David going to war. I am around other men and women God has aligned me with that are my Jonathans to speak into me and me into them. See, the only divine appointments we have in our life is we won't be evangelized when we get to heaven. It's between from the moment when you got saved and the moment when you return to be with the Lord. Amen? What I'm saying today, friend, is let's not look at all the details. Listen, if you're serious about it, let me just challenge you with this. Muslims can quote the Quran all day. Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons knock on your doors and share the gospel more than any Christian ever will. That's what they do. They know their books and their cults and all the rest of it. I'm just telling you what it is better than we know our Bibles. If we're reading if we're praying, if we're pursuing God in the Holy Spirit, and we're simply saying, God, what is my work? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your spouse. Love your kids. Be in church. Do all those simple things, like I said, with the job, the tools, the workplace, what you do. Get along some friends. We're going to run the race and finish good. Amen. We see how David blew it, missing it. But God, God, Use the man called Jonathan to help him, and we can never say David would have done it without Jonathan. In the life of Jonathan, here's what we see we see sacrifice, and we say, Yeah, we'll sacrifice. Will we? Would you sacrifice your humility? Would you open up about something? Would you share with someone in a time when you know, God, I need prayer about this? Were you willing to step out and be loyal and protect? I'm not saying right now, by the way, this is all white knuckle. This isn't just you do it. In the next session, we're going to tackle the Holy Spirit in a heavy way and say, how do you move and minister in our lives? The third thing, though, is the real commitment? Did we just show up today, enjoy the worship, hang out for a bit, and get our once a month boost and say, we went to a conference? Or is there a commitment to say, wow, God. I've got to put away some childish things. I'm going to track down some men. I'm going to be accountable, and they're going to be accountable to me. And the fourth thing then is, are we going to be godly in this? We live in, how many guys go on Instagram? I mean, I typed in church the other day on Instagram, and I can tell you almost pornographic images came up on Instagram. My son's 15, and I don't even let him have it because why? The enemy is infiltrating in so many ways. We have to get away from the things of this world that are beginning to entertain us and stay focused on the things of God. Amen? Here's all I want to do. I want to make a shorter session here because I want to challenge us. Are we sacrificing? Do we understand loyalty and protection? Are we really committed? And is it all under godliness? And I want to challenge us even now. I want to pray for us. But I want us to break off into small groups of maybe four or five. Men maybe you know. Men maybe you don't. And you say, okay, God... You brought me here for a reason. Maybe you're carrying something you want prayer for. Maybe you're not. You're going to just say something simple or share with someone else. But I want to challenge us as men today to take a step closer to fellowship. Maybe it's crucifying the flesh more for you. Maybe it's a challenge for you. But let's just bow our heads for a moment. Let me pray us into this time. Groups of four or five. God, you said your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. But Lord, as we see in Scripture, we see a picture of you. We see an image of you. You are the word. And God, you chose to use David, a man after your own heart. We've seen his ups and downs. But God, you brought alongside of him a Jonathan. Men in here saying, God, what is my call? We get it. It's the great commission. But God, it's to be someone's friend. It's to listen. It's to give of our time. It's to sacrifice and say, I'm going to encourage this man. Jonathan, you strengthen David's hand, and God, we just thank you that you show us that. As men today need to be strengthened, as men today need to be encouraged, as they need to let go of some of the things of the past, some of the struggles, God, I pray right now for your spirit to be in this room, God, as it is, but in a tangible way, that the prayers offered up in faith in just a few moments, God, they would minister, they would speak. Those, those bondages and the yokes that we hold on to, God, your word says lay aside those weights. Today, God, As we sit with friends, as we open up this time for you to speak, as we release the flesh and just say, Holy Spirit, minister, we pray peace, God. We pray joy that surpasses all understanding. We thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.